Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Uh, that's Not Gunner Productions podcast. Hi there, and welcome back to OOF, Right in the Childhood. I'm Jen, and each week I discuss the history and social commentary of one of the Disney animated feature films in order to investigate the systemic messages that were infused into our childhood. Today I'm going to talk about 1947's Fun and Fancy Free, the duplex of the World War II movies. Before you tell me that World War II ended in 1945, I know. But if you listened to my last episode, The Three Caballeros, and my bonus episode about Walt Disney propaganda during World War II, you'll know that Walt Disney was hit hard by a combination of poorly performing movies, Pinocchio and Fantasia, wartime rationing, and creating propaganda and training films for the military. There was little left to make movies with. They made five package films between Pinocchio and Cinderella with their limited funds, and Fun and Fancy Free is one such movie. Instead of a true feature film or a compilation of three or more shorts, it's two almost movies shoved together. In fact, each of the not-quite shorts was originally planned to be a full-length movie of its own, but the studio decided to cut them down to reduce costs and release a single movie. During the production of Fantasia, two of the Disney animators pitched the idea of a Jack and the Beanstalk movie with Mickey, Donald, and Goofy as characters. Walt loved the idea, and they planned a full film. However, Walt's attitudes toward these animators soured during the strike mentioned in the Dumbo episode, and he dumped the whole plan. When the studio began to run low on money, Jack and the Beanstalk was brought out of the circular file, they cut a few scenes, and included it in Fun and Fancy Free. In 1941, the studio started producing a movie named Bongo after a short story by Sinclair Lewis. The movie, about a bear that escaped from the circus, was intended to be the sequel to Dumbo, because that was such a happy, happy, fun time, why wouldn't we want a sequel? However, in the middle of production, the U.S. Army appeared and occupied the studio. They took over animation studios and requested that the studio create both propaganda and training videos for the war. This delayed production on Bongo, reduced the studio's supplies, and created more work than the animators could keep up with, so they shortened Bongo and added it to Happy Valley to make one feature-length film. Fun and Fancy Free was the last time Walt Disney voiced Mickey Mouse. This podcast is sponsored by my patrons on Patreon. I love creating content for you, and becoming a patron on my Patreon helps me cover hosting fees and upgrade the equipment I use while allowing me to minimize ad time. 
At the $5 level, you not only get an ad-free version of each episode a day earlier than it's released, but starting next month, you get a special bonus episode on the first of each month with content available exclusively on Patreon. In October, I investigate the role of Walt Disney Productions during World War II, from the occupation of the studio by the U.S. military to the hundreds of hours of training and propaganda that the studio released. I also provide synopses and commentary for the cartoon portions of eight of the propaganda pieces they released during the war. Information for my Patreon can be found on my website at oofmychildhood.com. Have you ever wondered what Tina Fey has in common with Jonathan Swift? Or how Star Wars is connected to feudal Japan? Or just how pervasive Shakespeare's influence still is? I'm Rhonda. And I'm Erin. And our show Pop DNA explores the literary and historical roots of your favorite pop culture works. Like the Greek mythology and early 20th century feminism echoed in the film Wonder Woman. Or the classic dystopian fiction and real-life political revolutions that informed the Hunger Games. Every month, we bring you a deep-dive discussion of a selected pop culture work. Featuring jokes no one will think are funny and literary references no one asked for. Find us at thepopdna.blog or anywhere you get your podcasts. By the way, Shakespeare is bigger than Disney. All of the following is commentary on the film as I see it now in 2020. My views are not that of the Disney company. The thing about these in-between features is that they have super long startups. Once we get past the opening credits, Jiminy sings for five minutes about not worrying about stuff and also to not read hard books. He reads a newspaper and says not to worry about anything that might come in the future. Is it now that we bring up the fact that people who were raised on this attitude deny climate change and say we shouldn't worry about it? Ha! Now he's barking at a cat. This is a story about a little girl and a big burly brown bear that wanted to be her boyfriend. Pardon? Okay, we're just gonna talk about Bongo instead. We'll skip that very weird teaser. Cool, I'm fine with that. Bongo's pretty amazing, though. He could do the trapeze and tightrope and kill a man. I mean, wrestle them. He loves life, people love him, but as soon as he's out of sight, he gets shackled, manhandled, and caged. How can we not draw people, asked the animators. Just draw their hands. That's the solution. It's another anti-circus message from Disney. I want someone to prove to me that this man liked circuses. As the train passes through the wilderness, the wild calls to Bongo. He manages to escape. This bear can juggle, but he cannot jump or climb trees. This is some not-so-subtle commentary on the harm of captive animals not having any survival skills for the wild. But in the tree, we can see Chip and Dale before Dale's drinking problem. He's red-nosed. These animals are jerks. They laugh at him and make fun. I mean, I guess they've never seen a bear that never learned to climb before. But instead of being upset, he decides to roll in the daisies and be fun and fancy-free. I should have started counting how many times they say this movie's name, but it's too late now. After all the work they put into Bambi, they really cartooned up the animals for this one. And now, Bongo learns that nature isn't quiet. But I have a hard time believing that the circus was super quiet to begin with, but frogs, crickets, wolves, etc. are different sounds. I'd forgotten he brought his unicycle until he tried to flee the swarm of gnats, 
and then the lightning came for him. He finally gets to sleep, cold and wet, but the sun rises, and there's ice. That's not a great time for a bear to be in the wild. He's hungry, but there's a fish. Of course, he can't catch it. It's hilarious to watch him try. Oh, a girl bear. We know she's a girl because she stands soups cute and has a pink flower on her head like a bow, and she has those strange anthropomorphic breasts they put on all female animals. See also Bambi for my original mention of these. I'm going to take a moment and say it's pretty creepy that they do this. Bongo can't believe it. He must be so hungry that he's hallucinating a pretty girl. Is that a thing? He's going to pinch himself to be sure, and then she's gone. Nope, just behind a rock for no reason. Now she'll run. They fall in love and fly through pink heart clouds. This might be a hunger hallucination, actually. A crowd gathers, and now there's a huge bear after Bongo. Aw, this little bear cub showing his qualifications as awesome to mean old angry bear is kind of cute, if it wasn't going to lead to his untimely death. Trigger warning from here to the end of the Bongo segment. Comedic representation of domestic violence. Why? Lulu Bear stops the giant bear, and then she hit Bongo. How dare she? And again, oh, this was supposed to be desire signaling? I understand why so men are confused about mating rituals now. Oof, right in the childhood. In the middle of this, she hits Bruno by accident, and he hugs and kisses her. What? Goofy yell randomly. Okay. Then there's a song about how when a bear falls in love, they say it with a slap, and a lot of bears hitting each other to show their love. Is there, like, a scientific source for bears slapping each other to say they're in love, or is this just a fun song that celebrates domestic violence? Mongo overhears the song, you know, because that was in the script, and he goes after Lulabelle to, um, slap her. Can we talk about how the big bear has a Cro-Magnon jaw? Because that's definitely intentional. Bongo's smarter than Bruno. An epic fight ensues. They go off a waterfall. Bruno can't swim, apparently, but Bongo's hat has the strongest elastic known to man that doesn't kill him, so he's okay. And then Bongo hit Lulabelle. In the original song and everything up till now, it was just the female bears hitting the male bears, and though that was cringy... A man slapping a woman to say I love you is so much worse. But now we're in love and we don't have to think too much about domestic violence. Yay! We return to Jiminy and he reads someone's mail to get to a party at the house across the way. The movie has progressed to live action for reasons. And we have creepy ventriloquist dummies that are the same size as children. Nope. We'll talk about a place called Happy Valley because everyone there is happy. There's a harp that sings about it. Someone stole the harp and now everyone's depressed and everything dies. Has has anyone checked for um, the harp that someone stole for 2020? Is that a thing? Ah, oh, we're at Mickey and the Beanstalk. They're staring and sharing and sharing and staring. I remember the see-through food here. It's the saddest sandwich. And here we are at Donald's Anger. He's hangry. He ate a plate, and Goofy spanked him. The 1940s, everyone! Gonna say that if the cow doesn't give milk, it's probably worth some food. I'm pretty sure that's their friend, but it is meat! And we're back to creepy puppets. Could we not? How much money do they think this cow is worth if they're gonna get lobster and pancakes up to the sky? And if they weren't going to kill the non-milkable cow, what do they think is going to happen to their best friend when they sell her? 
Mickey sold the cow for beans. In the full-length movie, he was going to get them from Honest John in Pinocchio. And we're at Donald's temper again. Someone needs to get Donald into anger management group. Do you know what happens if we plant these beans by the light of a full moon? Yes, we get more beans. Okay, but like, that's more food than you had. Sure, throw them away instead. Snake charming music as the vines grow. Who made these footprints? Well, it wasn't Cinderella. Guess what the first movie made after the war was? I think this is back to early Disney Easter eggs. Come back in three years for Cinderella. Wink, wink. Would knocking on a door when you're the equivalent of an ant mean anything? Do bugs knock on our doors and we can't hear them? Questions for the ages. There's food for days. I'd be excited too. Goofy's trying to eat giant peas with a knife. Even giants made jello molds in the 40s. What's that behind the jello? Is that a coconut cake? It, it looks fuzzy. A box is talking to them. It's a lady. The lady is a harp. It's the lady harp that made the valley happy. The giant could turn himself into anything, man or beast. Is that foreshadowing or red herring? Why would the giant steal the harp? Because he's a jerk. That's why. Fee-fi-fo-fum, he-hi-ho-hum. Okay, so he can shrink and grow and fly and disappear, but he doesn't actually change into anything, so he can't turn into just anything. Since when are fee-fi-fo-fum magic words? Chocolate pot roast with pistachio gravy? What weird 40s dish is this? His sandwich has bone in it. Tricky Mickey trying to get the giant to turn into a fly, but also he failed. Fee-fi-fo-fum, I'm the most amazing guy. Sounds like every mediocre white guy I know. So he can turn into a pink bunny-like creature. The harp gets him to go to sleep. Mickey steals the key, frees Donald and Goofy, they kill the giant, and everyone lives happily ever after. The end. And we go back to live action where they're going to discuss metaphysics now. This seems a little beyond most young children. Ha! The giant showed up. And he's wearing the brown derby as he walks away through Los Angeles. In the end, I like this more than the Three Caballeros, but it was basically just two cartoons smooshed into a feature film. But I'd like to know what you think. Is this something that you watched when you were a kid? Or, like me, did you just catch the individual cartoons when they were around? Because they're only about 30 minutes. Let me know on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching the show's name or Oof My Childhood. This episode's cover art was provided by Lillian Riley's dad. You can see more of his art on his Instagram. I've linked to that in the show notes and on social media. If you'd like to provide fan art for a future episode, you can drop me a message on my social media or fill out the form on my website. Our theme music was composed and played by Sean Rudolph of Let Music Be. For more information on that studio, you can visit their website at letmusic.be or visit my website for an easy link. You can find transcripts for each episode on my website, and if you check out my YouTube channel, I have captioned video versions of each episode as they're published. I do my best to provide YouTube videos and transcripts at the same time as each podcast episode is released. But if this one isn't up yet, you can always check my website for an update and a link to the appropriate video. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you come back each week to discuss Disney Through Modern Eyes. And while you're at it, if you're enjoying yourself, please let your friends know about me. I'd also appreciate a rating and review wherever you're listening to the show. 
This podcast is written, recorded, and edited by me. I release a new episode every Monday through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many, many other podcatchers. So until next time, keep the magic alive. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.